This podcast is part of the ACAST Creator Network. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now, the COVID pandemic for many people appears to be a thing of the past. And I'm not just talking about ordinary people, but people in government uh, and people in uh, business. And in general, if you're walking around the city or going into a supermarket or a bar or indeed restaurants, people are just uh, acting normally, behaving as they used to. But there is a, a problem. It's called long covid and there's another problem, which is has been described uh, as mid-COVID. And we're talking here about serious people. Professor uh, Jack Lambert, who is a professor of infectious diseases at UCD and who also works in the matter, he had very serious things to say about long COVID last week. And we're joined now by Professor Christine Losher from DCU, who is a professor of immunology and um, has been on the podcast before and is really one of the most informed people in the country. Christine, this idea of mid-COVID and also long COVID and in the context that I mentioned of people seeming to believe that there isn't much danger now and, you know, precautions have been laid aside in many settings, for example, supermarkets, restaurants and, and, and pubs. Um, how bad is this long COVID? Because the stories I have, the Sunday Times did a, a page last Sunday on it, and your colleague, Professor Jack Lambert, also has been talking about it and the importance of it. And as I said, the French government has now designated it as a chronic illness. Where, where are we? Uh, thanks, Eamon, and uh, thanks for having me on again. And I think it's brilliant that we're we're actually properly now having conversations about long COVID. And you know, I've I've, I've for a very long time been saying when when people are talking about you know COVID is is not that bad when you get it now, and we've loads of vaccine immunity, and and all those things might be true. And one of the things that I was, I suppose, quite outspoken on in terms of still trying to reduce risk of people getting infection was predominantly around the after effects, um, which which yes. is mid and long COVID. And I think now we're we're getting to a stage in this pandemic where 
we are now being more serious about addressing the consequences of getting infection rather than, yes. you know, um, all the things that we should be doing to prevent it. And I think that the more we talk about long COVID, I think the more that will feed into a bigger conversation about how we are going to behave when COVID surges arise. And, and you know that through the last two COVID surges, you know, I've been, you know, speaking about how I didn't see a very clear plan about how we were dealing with that, how we were lowering risk, the communication to the public about what the plan was. And I think that that's ever so much more important now coming into the the, the autumn and the winter about how we plan for uh, potential surges. And I think a conversation around long COVID might just, I think, just put it in people's mind that while, you know, the risk of, of infection to one's health at the time of infection may not be what it used to be. The, the consequences of infection long after um, uh, you've actually, you know, finished your infection, um, I think are becoming more of a, a more serious conversation. And I think people need to keep that in mind when they think about how their behaviour may change coming into the winter and potential surges around infection. So, I've seen, you know, an awful lot of Jack Lambert's been, you know, brilliant advocate for everything around dealing with infectious disease around COVID, yes. but more recently around the recognition that um, the, the healthcare system has just not set up to deal with the prolonged after effects in many individuals of having COVID infection. So the mid to long COVID really, I suppose, refers Eamon to you know, how long people have these after effects for. Um, in other words, you know, do you have some lingering effects like fatigue, for example, or insomnia or brain fog for two or three months? Or are you having cardiovascular issues a year later? Are you having, um, you know, uh, blood clotting issues a year later? Um, and, and really the distinction is really the timeline uh, rather than the, the severity of, of the long COVID symptoms. Yes, I mean, Professor Lambert says that we are not uh, allocating enough resources to long COVID in Ireland. And it is clear that the symptoms can, as you mentioned, cardiovascular consequences, but also brain, uh, brain fog. And there's also the tiredness. And in the piece in the Sunday Times, which was written by Lynn Kelleher, there's a story of a 21-year-old young man who had COVID but who can't get over it. He simply is tired all the time, can't concentrate and all of, of these things. So there's a couple of questions to ask. First of all, among your peers is it accepted, as the French appear to have accepted and indeed legislated for uh, long COVID, is it recognized in Ireland as a chronic illness that is present in the community, but for which there doesn't appear to be any preventative measure? So I'd say amongst my peers, and, and I'm talking about researchers and, and scientists, when we look at data uh, that's coming out from lots of, of studies now, you can see that there's real hard evidence to point to like biomarkers that are elevated in people who have long COVID, changes in their inflammatory response, higher risk yes. of cardiovascular. We see lovely stuff coming out of RCSI just very recently around the whole link between blood clotting 
and post-COVID infection and how yes. they are intrinsically linked. And, and, and this is why, you know, blood clotting and cardiovascular events are, are becoming more of an issue now post-COVID. So like amongst my peers, you know, we accept that this is a, I suppose, a pathological state of the body where there are key differences. And what we see in, in those individuals then is that those differences, depending on what they have that's elevated, are translating into symptoms that we associate with long COVID, like the fatigue or the cardiovascular issues or, or, or brain fog. So I think what we've seen in the last six months in particular, apart from more conversation about it, is that we've seen a kind of a clearer definition of the categories around long COVID, the neurological, the cardiovascular, etc. Um, and that there's becoming, I suppose, you know, a greater understanding that there there is actually a syndrome here. I would say in terms of whether it's accepted more broadly um, across, you know, our healthcare setting, I would say in, on an individual basis, you know, consultants and great doctors like John Lambert, Art, um, uh, uh, Dr. Lambert, absolutely accept these things. I would say is the healthcare system set up for it and accepting that this is a chronic illness that needs resources, I would say, no, we're not there yet. And I think, you know, you mentioned the French government um, uh, being able to kind of recognise this. I would say that in time, you know, we will see that happening, you know, across the rest of Europe and, and, and globally. And we're lucky to have people like Jack Lambert who are outspoken on this and pushing it. But I would say that there needs to be a recognition at government level and the level of the HSE that it requires resources that individuals who are suffering now post-COVID yes. um, need need to have resources against understanding even what might be wrong with them and how best to care for that. So we're not even at the stage where we understand how best to treat people, but we need to acknowledge that there is something needed to be put in place to, to support people who have various types of syndromes um, around long COVID. Yes, one person uh, quoted here, it's a lady called Miriam uh, Cullen, who has set up a group uh, for sufferers called Long COVID Ireland. She points out that very few people have seen neurologists. And she says, there are so few neurologists in this country. Uh, is it then, or can it be, uh, Christine, a neurological problem? And the other, I suppose, associated question, and probably putting the cart before the horse there, if you were to go to your GP with these symptoms of tiredness, brain fog, you know, chest pains, the, the GPs, as I can only observe, don't appear to be um, they, they're overworked as it is. We don't have enough neurologists. We really are quite exposed to this with the winter to come as well and all the complications that that will bring with flu and other illnesses. Yeah, and I think, you know, the starting point for anyone who who's, continues to have, I suppose, symptoms of, you know, th those general symptoms that we talk about, uh, whether it's the tiredness or the fatigue or the brain fog or um, you know, breathlessness or any other kind of symptom. The starting point is always the GP. I think the challenge for GPs at the moment is, is, is where to refer patients to in order to be able to have. Yes. And just uh, in that context, Christine, um, 
we don't appear to have tre uh, treatment centres for long COVID here. Whereas in Britain, the National Health Service has 60 long COVID clinics, uh, or at least they did in, tw in December 2020. So that's two years ago. We don't appear to have acknowledged the need for specialised treatment and centres for long COVID. Yeah, and I think, you know, we haven't. You're right, we absolutely haven't. And I think that, you know, the challenge for GPs is how do you support an individual who has a particular complaint? And what if they are breathless and they have brain fog? Do I need to refer them to two separate individuals? What's the waiting list like to see somebody in the in these specialties? And I think that, you know, the clinic is a really good model. So what you'd really like to see is a multidisciplinary clinic where people can be assessed for all of these, you know, they may present with with a an overriding kind of dominant symptom that might be neurological, but actually yes. you might need to look at what their cardiovascular function is like, what their you know what their blood clotting time is like, what what their blood pressure is like, in order to get a more rounded, I suppose, view of what their their full set of symptoms might look like in order to be able to kind of manage them. So, I think unfortunately. What what's going to happen is that GPs will have no choice but to refer people to individuals based on, you know, the overriding symptom. But actually what we need is clinics set up with a multidisciplinary team that can assess people post-infection with long COVID symptoms that give you a view of what, what the real issues are and what the underlying issues are. And one of the things that uh, in, in order to be able to try and develop treatments to long COVID, we need to have clinics like this where we understand what patients are presenting with what symptoms and what does their blood work look like? What does their, you know, general kind of health look like? So we need to start building a body of evidence. We're seeing some of that come through. We know that there's certain inflammatory markers that are increased in the blood of people who have um, uh, long COVID. We know that blood clotting factors can change in people of long COVID. So we have some things that we already know change. Being able to assess people for those levels um, in order to be able to figure out where are they on the spectrum of long COVID yes. um, is going to be really, really important. And I think that multidisciplinary approach and having clinics that GPs can actually refer people to those clinics and the right type of specialities will be there to assess them is where we need to move to. And, and that's what we see in other countries. And, and that's what we need here. The, the There doesn't appear to be in the media Largely, Sunday Times and Irish Times, of course, don't are not guilty. But most media appear to have accepted that the COVID pandemic is over and that it's done and dusted. And yet, there is this long COVID problem. And I know for a fact somebody I know who's an intensive care unit nurse who got COVID eighteen months ago. And is still falling asleep when she goes home at night while she's watching television. In other words, this is a long-term problem. This is somebody who was on the front line and even she can't really turn to anybody. There is nowhere she can go to be assessed in any meaningful way. And that seems, is that, if you have these symptoms and you don't know where to go, should you be looking for a, neuro a neurologist? And we do have a shortage of neurologists. And of course, our health service is stretched in so many ways anyway. Yeah, and I think, 
you know, neurologists is only going to be relevant for people who have the brain fog and the insomnia and other things around right. that. If, if you've got somebody who's got breathlessness, they need yes. a they need a cardiologist, they need a respiratory um, uh, medicine um, specialist. So, and that's that's the that's the challenge for GPs is that in order to support patients, you know, there is a really huge question mark about where to send them, and that's why the fact that we don't have clinics. And you know, when you talk about you know the, the media, um, you know, thinking that the pandemic is over, I, I think what happens you know, with all things is, is that things rumble along and you might hear a report every so often. When we do things like high numbers and surges and all of a sudden the positivity rate goes through the roof, we all start to talk about COVID again. And yes. you know, the, the media surges happen with the with the, the, the case numbers and, and, and the, you know, because there's an impact on, on hospital admissions and ICUs. And obviously we question how the healthcare system is, is managing that. So, of course. you know, and we have the same conversations about what's our plan? How do we respond? You know, what do we roll out when we have a surge? And, you know, you'll have seen through the last two surges, the answer is, well, we don't really have a plan and we don't roll out anything. We just kind of, you know, we just kind of roll along with it you know we 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 make sure that we we communicate the, the benefits of vaccines and stuff and i think we need to improve that coming into this winter where you know if things start to surge the four or five things we need to be doing are around vaccines and face masks and you know people being you know um careful about symptoms and they need to be testing and you know so people just need a set of instructions you know when things start to surge whether it's october or november Here's the things we all do that mitigate risk. And I think the long COVID conversation now is really relevant because we're not just mitigating risk of infection anymore. We're trying to mitigate risk yes. of a long term chronic illness that will have huge consequences for our healthcare system that we are not set up for and that we are scrambling at the moment to try and figure out how to manage. So I think that. You know, I go back to, you know, we, everybody needs to know what, what they need to do when there's a surge. And the first port of call is telling people there's a surge and reminding them about what they need to do. And that's what will work coming into the winter. The other thing that that's hugely important is, is to reactivate all of our communications around vaccines. Um, yes. Because there is some evidence that people with long COVID, that the risk, you know, was less with people who've had vaccines. It's not gone but it, it can be less and, and it may be yes. only marginally less, but, but, but nonetheless, it is, it, it's much, much higher in people who aren't vaccinated, let's say. So um, this is really important, I think, coming into the season that we're just about to hit. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit get 30, bit get 20, 20, 20, bit get 20, 20, bit get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a, it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, 
you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Now we are about to enter the autumn-winter cycle and There are two questions I'd like to ask you about the winter flu, which we have seen very little of when people started taking precautions, obviously, but now that they're not, uh, some people say the flu might be very bad this year, but there will also be more danger of winter COVID, will there not, Christine? And the other question I want to ask you is about the Omicron-adjusted vaccine. Is there an Omicron-adjusted vaccine? Should people now be looking to be vaccinated again. In in my case, for example, I've had four vaccines, two boosters. I'm 77. Do I need to go um, and get, I don't want private. This isn't a private. <laughs> I shouldn't be mentioning myself. But it, 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 I, as you say, I'm not clear what I should do because the messaging is is kind of strange. And it's not there, actually. Yeah. So in terms of, what we're facing into, it is likely that we will get a COVID surge this winter um, at some stage later in the year. If you look at particularly, I suppose, the behavior of Omicron from the start of the year to now, we've had a few, you know, surges. So we've had, I think, about three surges already this year. They're usually every three months. They've kind of coincided with the, you know, the appearance of kind of a slightly tweaked sub-variant of Omicron along the way. Um, And we're just coming out of that for our F5 and 6, um, VA5 and 6 Omicron subvariant, like the rest of the world has. Yes. You know, it is it likely that we're going to get another subvariant, another surge in the next couple of months? I'd say yes, very likely. Is it also a possibility that we get a different variant? Yes, that's also a possibility. Um, and and co- th- things like COVID surges will always be, I suppose, higher risk in the winter and autumn months because our behavior moves very much more indoors. Yes. yes. Um, which which obviously is a great breeding ground for 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 um for transmitting viruses. So so it is it is likely that we're going to have another surge. I suppose that the risk always with with the flu um and and covid together is that it's somewhat a little bit of an unknown because uh we had very little flu last year because we were still mandated to wear masks. We were yes. still very cautious about what we were doing. We had a very stringent testing system, you know, so 
we were set up last winter in still in, you know, very much like we were, remember the rush to get boosted before last Christmas because obviously yes. Omicron was coming. Yes. Everyone was very heightened about wearing masks and being cautious. So, you know, as you said at the, at the start of this, you know, people's behavior has in some way gone back to normal. And a lot of that is to do with our high levels of vaccine immunity, high yes. levels of population immunity, the fact that a lot of people who are getting COVID are experiencing mild symptoms because of that immunity and that the severity risk is in general much, much lower for people who have infection, but obviously the consequence of, of infection and long COVID still remains. So, but for the most part, we're still very focused on infection and what infection does to people. So if you like, we're going into this autumn winter, like for the first time in the last you know, this is the third winter now we've, yes. we've had COVID. This is the first time we're going to go into it without precautions in place. So I think that we are, we're going to see something very, very different. And I think that one of the big things there is, is that we're not going to see that suppression of flu the way we did the last few years. And we already know that there's potentially a bad flu coming because Australia have had their flu and it hasn't been, you know, it hasn't been nice. And flu um, is a killer too for people in certain categories, isn't it? Yes. And I think, you know, again, this is about making sure that we have run and are running a very extensive and intensive flu uh, vaccine campaign, uh, particularly for people who are older. What we did last year was we, we asked like everyone to get a flu vaccine. That's what we should be doing again this year. I think right. everything's been quite quiet recently on the flu vaccine front. Yes. I think we need to ramp that up fairly quickly. Um, as well as ramping up the, the boosters that we need um, on the current doses that were given to over 60s and now over 50s um, on boosters for COVID-19. So we need to come at, at this this winter season um, with both, um, both flu and COVID in mind, um, maxing out what we can do in terms of vaccines. And then you mentioned the, the, the new more specific vaccines. So the EMA just um, very recently in the last few days have just um, uh, approved the new bivalent um, uh, COVID vaccine for, for use. Um, the MHRA uh, previously just okayed it for use in the UK and that's going to start rolling out. So the bivalent vaccine is what we've had before for COVID plus um, uh, an addition of an extra piece, which is specific to Omicron. Omicron, yes. The, 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 there's a couple of beliefs out there, fallacies perhaps, you'll tell us, uh, Christine. People who uh, I just suggested to somebody I know who was being cavalier about mask wearing and all of that. I ah, know, no, he says, I had it, he said, I won't get it again. Now, is that true? So if if you've had covid are you immune? Um you will so if you have co if you had covid and you will have an immune response which will give you a level of immunity right. which will which will be two parts one will be this antibody response that we all hear about all the time you're neutralizing antibodies and that's what you also get if you get a vaccine. You get right. neutralizing antibodies. And then you get this background T-cell immunity, which is this killing immunity in case you actually get the virus and then you've got cells to kill it. So the, right. the antibody is the bit that will stop you getting the infection. Right. And just post-COVID infection or just post-vaccine, um, your neutralizing antibodies will be very, very high. 
But whether you've had an infection or whether you've had a vaccine, we know now that those level of those antibodies will wane over time. And therefore, the further away you are from your last vaccine or your infection, the lower your antibodies will be. And therefore, the more susceptible you will be to another infection. And some people have kind of said, oh, that's a failure of vaccine because after a certain amount of time, it doesn't protect you. And actually trying to trying to maintain a very high level of a neutralizing antibody to anything post any infection or post any vaccine is almost impossible it's not the way your immune system works right you can maintain a level of antibody but for most of the things we've been vaccinated in the past again so if you think of all the vaccinations you've had yes. again measles and everything else like your neutralizing antibodies to all those things will now be very low but how often yes. are you ever in contact with those like practically exactly. never yes. right so unfortunately, when that happens in the context of COVID and it comes into a surge, we're all bombarded with it. So, you know, no very, very, very high levels of neutralizing antibody would be needed for complete protection. So I think that what's important is, is that, you know, if you have had a previous infection, your antibody levels will wane and you will be susceptible to another infection. I've had COVID twice, right. as have most of my family. Um, yes. I was I was a lot sicker the first time because it was before we ever had any vaccines available. And I was much, much better the second time I had it after I'd had two vaccines and a booster. So um, certainly the experience for people is, is very, very different, but you are still susceptible. So if anyone's had Omicron before, we know from science data that the neutralizing antibodies will wane, that the specificity of the you know, the response to um, Omicron subvariant one and two, you know, still doesn't stop you getting the current BA five and six. So, you know, people need to be very mindful of the fact that they are still susceptible um, and that the one thing that will definitely boost your immunity and protection going into the winter is a booster. Right. And just a final question, Christian. We're very grateful to you for taking the time to talk to us. The... When the French government uh, recognized long COVID as a chronic illness uh, and acted accordingly in terms of clinics where you could be treated, was that the correct way to do it? And should we follow that? Or was there's an overreaction? We don't have NEFID anymore, do we, to guide us on these matters? And there doesn't appear to be a conversation such as the one we're having in most of the media. In other words, people think this is the pandemic was yesterday. Now we've got to worry about the Ukraine or something. Yeah. So look, first of all, I definitely think the French have done the right thing. They've acknowledged that this is an issue. And, and remember, you know, for all of these things, the earlier that you, you know, engage with people and yes. and support them and figure out what's wrong with them you know the, the 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 better off that they will be in the long term and and they'll be they'll be less of like if we're leaving people with long covid and potentially their symptoms may get worse and they may have you know an event a cardiovascular event yes. uh, you know we're at, it's it's only going to put more pressure on the healthcare system down the line we're actually better off dealing with it now and i think the two conversations that we need to be having are how are we addressing long COVID in the healthcare system? What are we going to put in place to be able to support people, to be able to figure out, you know, how we manage them, how we treat them um, and how we recognize them? And the second conversation we need to have is 
how are we preparing for this winter? What are we doing about what's our vaccine strategy? And um, given that we now have potentially this choice of having a bivalent in the next um, couple of weeks or months. Yes. Um, and what are we going to ask people to do this winter in order to minimize the impact of a dual COVID potential flu season that we have again? And there are two important conversations that I think we need to be having right now. Okay, Professor Christine Losher, Professor of Immunology at DCU. Thank you very much for joining us on the stand. We're very grateful to you. Thanks, Amy. Uh, and we're grateful to Christine. Uh, to all of you for listening, that's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.